1: and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for January 16, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Tim Shiflett.
2: Good evening, sir.
1: Yes, Catherine's a little under the... that we have been trying to talk about for some time and um, I'm going to continue to set that up and, and Tim will jump in here in a second um, and, and that would be um, you know the state of the Democratic Party as far as um, approval rating and in the l- recent um, weeks we have seen um, the approval actually really months
2: David, are you with me?
1: Hi, welcome back on the Kudzu Vine. We're having all kinds of um, issues tonight with our board. We don't know if it's the fact that in Georgia we're having terrible weather or if it's in um uh, something on the audio side up in New York. Um, but nevertheless, we apologize for these technical difficulties. Um, both Tim and I dropped and I, we live, you know, not, neither of us live right under a cell tower, so to speak. Um, so that's been a bit of an issue. Um, but I'm on the board right now. But what we're going to, um, start out with is, you know, just the approval rating. Numbers in recent months for the Democratic Party has not been strong. In particular, you know President Biden, and um, how much of a function is that? Is is, you know the way polling's being conducted has been changing, um, and response numbers. How much of it is the fact that you know people uh, thought, okay, we tried different administration, COVID just you know gets solved, particularly with. Um, At least some of the people being vaccinated, um, people getting back to work as the economic situation get better. But yet we're still, with you know, different strains of the virus and the economy can't fully be robust in all areas. And, of course, uh, supply chain issues have happened. And so it's kind of hard to tell exactly where politics stands at the same time where, you know, Joe Biden, Democratic Party's numbers are not incredibly strong, does that mean that the American people think that the Republican Party has the answers? The low approval rating numbers does not mean that people have just decided that Donald Trump or other Republicans with the same mindset think that he has the answers. So it's a really, um, you know, cloudy picture, I think, even for the most um, astute election observer. And we know we've got one of those on the line. Tim, what's your thought about how things currently sit with approval ratings of parties and, and who might have the answers.
2: Yeah, first of all, David, my apologies for the reception. It appears that the cell phone tower on the mountain above me, everything up there has lost power because of the weather. Um, yes. And and so I'm uh, calling from another line. But anyway, about what we're talking about here, As far as the election, the midterms, I think we need a lot of luck now. Uh, We need for things to get better with the pandemic, obviously, because people are tired and they're tired of being tired. And tired voters generally translate to surly voters who are not very happy with You know, whoever's in power in the White House as a result. We need um, for inflation to be checked and come under control. Um, It's great the economy's opening up, people are going back to work, making more money, but inflation is outstripping pay raises right now. Uh, People react very negatively to higher prices, especially for staples like groceries. Um, I don't know if you've mentioned this yet or not, but there's a perception problem with us. This president's actually gotten a lot of stuff done, and legislatively, and and every other way. Things are a lot better than they were when he took office, a whole lot better, uh, And people are just not seeing that for some reason, or we're not conveying that to them successfully for some reason. Uh, I think another thing we need is for these voting bills to pass that are in Congress and stuck because of the filibuster. Uh, I'm not very hopeful about that. Uh, In the meantime, our Republican friends in various states around the country have passed successfully passed voting restriction laws Um, and we're going to have to energize our voters right now they're not energized I believe the other side is somewhat energized just by the hope of winning for one thing I don't think that redistricting has hurt us as badly as once thought but and you might disagree with this, David. A president with a 43 percent approval rating is going to lose at the polls. Now, that's historically true. What do you think?
1: Well, and I think that is um, part of this, is that this election is not going to be directly uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I mean, it's not going to be people's feelings um, you know, directly about Donald Trump on the ballot. Therefore, you're going to have to beat other Republicans. Now, some of those places the Republicans might be um, just as odious or incompetent as many people felt Donald Trump was. But in a lot of places, those Republican candidates, like say in Virginia with Glenn Youngkin, they're going to be seem more competent. And so, and those are probably going to be more the battleground areas. And so that's what's going to be tricky is. You're not having to defeat, you know, the Louis Gohmerts and the Lauren Bogerts of the world, all across the country. You're having to defeat more competent, well thought of, more middle of the road, uh, smarter, you know, well read Republicans um, in a lot of these tougher districts, and that's where you know it's going to come down to. And Tim, you got onto something I thought was very uh, astute: is the perception issue, you know. They unbuckled the, you know, build back better, better bills. And now people, because there's the second one that hasn't passed, people don't even – I think a lot of people forget that the first one did pass. The infrastructure part passed. I mean, it was, you know, one of, if not the largest infrastructure bill. I'm sure in raw dollars it's the largest, but even in um, adjusted for inflation, uh, you know, it's not one of – one of, if not the one of the largest – uh, bills ever to pass on, you know, building roads, bridges, um, other forms of transportation, and so there's very little credit for that. Now, as far as the social infrastructure bill, you know, I don't know that that total bill is ever going to pass, and I don't know that it's really would be the same policy win because I think if you passed one huge bill, then people would. Um, maybe not know about a lot of the positive popular things, and at the same time, some of the less popular things would be singled out and, and run against. So therefore my plan would be if you could get one, one a week, I'd do it, but if it ended up being one every two weeks, one every month, I'd do it. Take pieces of the bill out, particularly very popular pieces, pieces that – and we are at the mercy of these two senators – Joe Manchin and um, Kristen Sinema agree with, and I don't know specifically what they agree and disagree with. But let's say the part about you know controlling the prices of insulin. Um, if you were to put that one thing out there standalone in week one and you pass it and you talk about it, there's a win um, for the Democratic Party. Then you talk about some type of you know, child tax credit. It may not be as robust as what we'd want. But it'd be something. You put that in. There's another piece of the bill that's more popular. You pass that the next week. And it's kind of like what Bill Clinton did during his administration. It's not massive, huge things. It's just a lot of little wins. And at the end of the day, it just increases your popularity because it seems like you're getting things done. Um, Tim, what's your thought on that type of piecemeal approach as a plan?
2: Well, it would be worth a try if we have time to do it, because uh, especially the way the United States Senate operates, you, you have things that, that come to the floor and one senator can object and they can go no further. Uh, you've got the 60-40 rule on so many things, so many. Uh, that there again, a lot of these popular things may never get to the floor, and uh, I just don't believe the Republicans would sit there and allow us to pass say one of these popular things a week. I think they'd use every delaying tactic in the book. I hate the sound. Uh, negative about it, but it's true. They would do that. If you and I know that these things would be popular with the American people and would help the American people, and that would translate into votes uh, and and support for this president, then Mitch McConnell knows that, too. Uh, Ted Cruz knows that, too. Rand Paul knows that, too. Uh, And these people would do whatever it took uh, I believe to to block any part of the program now, and uh, I do agree with you on one thing: a standalone major bill, it's not going to work. We could keep dropping the price of it and keep dropping it, and somebody like Manchin would just never go along with it. I hope we remember that about him and about Kirsten Cinema, and I hope that if we ever get just 52 uh, Democrats in the Senate that we can then just do without their votes. And, you know, just, you know, if they're going to act like Republicans, maybe they ought to go there and be Republicans. And I know people say, well, that'd give control of the place to the Republicans. Well, what have they got now? They basically uh, – Mitch McConnell is almost like the majority leader instead of the minority leader. So a- anyway, b- back to the original point, I think it would be worth a try, David. But I'm I'm not optimistic about success uh, on that front now either. I just think it's just totally broken up there.
1: Well, and I'll say this. I think you could get more out of Joe Manchin than um – Kristen Cinema, I, I think, you know, Joe Manchin comes from a very – a state that's moved very conservative, you know, really for no good reason their own because they're a very impoverished state that could probably use a lot of government benefits. Uh, and I don't mean just checks. I mean, you know, some of these policies like we're talking about. I mean, North – And Kristen Cinema in any way, shape, or form. I'm not sure what her motivations are. Um, the, the strangest thing is, you know, I mean, you can look at when um, Joe Manchin was governor. He was a Democrat. He was governor of West Virginia, and probably the way he governed as governor is somewhat related to the way he's governor uh, governing as senator now. And so you can kind of put together a profile, Kristen Cinema when you see that she was a green party candidate then she was a you look at um Hey, I'm back on the air. Um, we have heard about these uh, downed, um, you know, cell towers around that have lost power. It appears it's hitting me too. I'm trying to stay on the air. about the weather in Georgia. Uh, being so terrible today. Um, and so we're going to try to stay on the air here for Ryan Bruin. Um But, you know, I was talking about how it's so hard to understand Kristen Cinema's motivations compared to, I believe, Joe Manchin. Um, and it keeps coming back to this. But why is uh, Chris, Kristen Cinema so unpredictable, do you think, Tim? Now Tim, I I see you on my board is, and I yeah, they are.
2: Yeah, do you hear me, sir?
1: Tim. Yeah, I can.
2: Uh very very uh, it's very curious that when she was she gets to the Senate and I'm sure what her motivation is a lot of times she doesn't even uh, communicate what she might want in return for her vote. So, you know, I don't really know what to tell you about her. It's easy to see what's going on with Mansion, but with Cinema, no. This is it, it, it's uh, it, it's tough to understand this.
1: Yes, um, and that's and that's so vexing that it's like that and. Um, I just – it's kind of like, you know, a lot of times people have signature issues, and I can't even tell a, you know, signature issue with her. Well, so strange. She, 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 uh, She obviously does not
2: want to change the rules of the Senate on the filibuster. I never knew this to be an issue that was close to her heart before. Why is she suddenly on this?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, and I, but I think that's important. And, and I know that, you know, President Biden keeps inviting uh, the two of them up, and I don't know that I would invite them together. I think I might invite them separately uh, because they seem to have very separate motivations and all. And try to figure out, you know, what, what does she want? What what? And Do maybe invite Mark you? Kelly at the same time because if there's anybody that maybe could get through to her, yeah, it seems like that that be the idea.
2: But but do you think we're approaching the point where we're just wasting our time even talking to these two senators, even though I realize the numbers? I realize that there are only 50 Democrats, and on a lot of stuff, we need every last one of their votes on, on legislation and rule changes and everything else, but if, you, you know, if she will not communicate what she wants. What is there to hand? Yeah. Um, what do we do? I, I don't we're stuck do between a rock and a hard place.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't know what the um uh what the solution will be and, and it's one that we've got to deal with. Um well let's come back to that uh discussion, but right now I want to welcome onto the show our guest, Mr. Ryan Brun. Welcome Ryan
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, glad to have you! And I want to pre warn you, um, it is terrible weather today in North Georgia, and uh, Tim and I are both having major connection issues. So, if something goes awry, uh, just hang with us. Um, but, uh, but since this is your first time on the show, and I like I said, I hate it. It's this week with the weather. Um, tell our listeners a little about yourself.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, just before I get started, <laughs> we're also having some pretty bad weather here in Columbus, Ohio. Some Black ice, and I guess it's going to smell like four inches tonight. But um, my name is Ryan Bruni. Uh, I, um, I'm at Brune Elections on uh, Twitter. I um, look at I have nonpartisan analysis of elections. I make maps. I, uh, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm getting my master's degree in statistics right now. I'm just a big fan of politics and trying to provide analysis, make some maps, and make some friends along the way.
2: I certainly am, yes. I don't know if David is. This is Tim. Um, go, go ahead and finish your thoughts, Mr. Bruni.
0: Sure. So, yeah, so I mostly talk about Ohio politics. I've uh, been doing a lot of things recently with Georgia politics just because, you know, that's kind of an up-and-coming state, you know, that's now being competitive. Um, I'm interested in North Carolina politics, New York politics, pretty politics, pretty much anywhere, especially right now with redistricting going ahead. A lot of these states, pretty much all the ones I've just mentioned, except for Georgia, which just finished, the process is still ongoing, either through litigation or in the case of New York, where they have yet to finish the map. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, I quick,
2: since I'm a huge sports fan, do you attend the Ohio State University?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I actually went oh. there for undergrad, and as I'm getting my master's now, and I'm a I'm a big Buckeyes right. fan. A little disappointed right. this year. A little disappointed yeah. this year with you know, first time yeah. in like a decade losing to Michigan isn't great.
2: Yeah. Well I'm a I'm a I'm a Georgia Tech guy, so you can imagine how I feel about who won the championship. <laughs> yeah. But uh I I don't guess David has joined us yet. So I'm gonna jump into some questions and I'm gonna kinda jump around the country, but I wanna start with Ohio. Sure. Um, and I wanna start with one of my favorite uh Congress critters, and that's Marcy Captor. Now, if she's reelected, she would become the longest-serving female U.S. House member in history, beating out Barbara Mikulski, I believe. But you seem to think that she may be out of luck due to redistricting. Is that essentially the case?
0: So this is all a little bit in flux because the maps have to be redrawn. But generally speaking, Uh you know... She represents a part of northwestern Ohio along the Erie Coast. She's based in Toledo, mm-hmm. and that's an area that has been very bad for Democrats as of late. You know, mm-hmm. Democrats still win Toledo, but all the surrounding counties nowadays, it's it's pretty rough terrain. You know, Biden did, in a lot of counties, 20, 30 points by margin worse than Obama. I mean, Marcy uh, – like, can – Captor has proven herself able to run to some extent as the head of the ticket, but we're talking like five to ten points. We're not talking the sort of margins that she may need to put up. It's very possible that she gets the district that's pretty unfavorable for her. You know, in a sense, she was kind of lucky by getting a district that was designed to compact as many Democratic votes as possible. You know, it was called the Snake on the Lake, where you basically had a little district that Snaked along the coastline from Toledo to to Cleveland, being very democratic. This is when Republicans thought, "Oh, this coastline area is some of the most democratic." It's part of the most some of the most democratic parts of the state. And, You know, that's not the case now anymore. And some could argue that you know this gerrymander. At one point, it was a gerrymander. Is actually kind of helping her now. Like it's not obvious that she could survive in a, in what one could argue would be a fair dis a fair and compact district. Hmm.
2: Now, you have both studied and drawn a lot of maps of Ohio, uh, looking at your Twitter feed especially, and you've looked at the data a lot. Now, to an outside observer like myself, it, uh, it really looks like Ohio is drifting away from the Democrats. Is Ohio even going to be competitive in future elections, uh, beginning with the midterms?
0: So the, the answer is that Ohio has definitely not been going the Democrats' way. There's a variety of reasons for that, but the main one is that there's a lot of industrial centers that used to be core to the Democratic base, in North, especially in northern and northeastern Ohio, where there have been massive shifts against the Democrats. And even in like cities, like urban areas like Cleveland, there have been declines in margin. You know, this is some like a factor of white working class like support has fallen and that the, the number of African-Americans living in the city has declined. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's also other, there's other Democratic losses throughout the rest of the state and like purely rural areas. But I definitely argue mm-hmm. that the loss in, the losses in the northern areas have been the most devastating as, mm-hmm. as to whether or not Democrats will be competitive in the future. It's going to be really tough for them in 2022, and if I was a betting man, and maybe I will be, I I I would be very surprised if Democrats won anything statewide or came close to winning anything statewide in 2022.
2: Mm. Mm. Well, on that happy note, let's jump right quick uh, across uh, to the Atlantic coast in the state of Virginia. I want to ask you a question about it. Uh, now, sure. their, new, their new congressional map just came out, and it almost mirrors the old one. Uh, a commission, I believe, draws the maps in Virginia, and if they fail to produce a map, which they did this year, the state Supreme Court uh, then takes over and does it. Uh, do you feel in the interest of fairness that every state in the country should adopt something like this?
0: Well, the Virginia Commission, you know, as a lot of people have argued, was doomed to fail because it had an equal number of, so the commission is made up of legislatures from both parties, but an equal number uh-huh. with no tie-breaking mechanism. So uh-huh. it, of course, deadlocked. Um, I personally am in favor of commissions if, they, if you can get them to work. If you look at what happened mm-hmm. in Colorado, if you look at what happened in Michigan, yes, I, I, I do think every state should have something like that. But you have to be careful that you set it up in such a way that, you know, it can actually function and won't just deadlock and produce nothing. Maps have to be made. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: speaking of deadlocks, I, I, I want to ask you a couple of national things now because you've talked about some of that too. You have spoken uh, and are tweeted at length about. The filibuster Now it just does not Appear that U.S. Senate Democrats are going to be Able to repeal it Or or even modify it The votes simply are not there Of two people (laughs) That we know about So where does that Leave us? Can Congress govern Or is it hopelessly In your opinion broken?
0: I think you're right that you know, this Congress is going to be unable to repeal the filibuster, or likely even to weaken it in any meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if 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 that remains the case in the long run, I think that you would have problems with governing, where really the only bills you can pass are sort of the you know the bird rule, where you can pass massive omnibus bills, just meaning bills that because you can only pass maybe two of them a year. You just have to jam pack with your entire agenda, but o- but only budgetary mm-hmm. matters. You can't have any social social agenda matters like these voting rights. Um, yeah, but but yeah, yeah. I think if the filibuster you know remains and you know polarization increases, I think that it's very likely that there will be more and more gridlock. More and more things won't get be able to be passed. But I'm going to be honest mm-hmm. with you, even though I don't I don't think it's going to go away this year. I'll be I'll be shocked. If the filibuster exists a decade from now, I think one party or the other is going to get rid of it. Hmm. Uh,
1: now, um, you
2: you you seem to believe because of the way things are now, uh, don't you, that voting rights legislation, even pursuing it this year, it is probably just hopeless and a waste of time. Is that pretty much it? Yeah,
0: I mean – I don't think there's any way it can pass. So I think, you know, going through the motions of saying, Oh, we ought to pass it, wasting a lot of time having rallies in states saying, Oh, let's pass it, I mean all this seems like a wasted time to me because ultimately there's there's just no the Biden administration and Congress, there's just no method for it to pass without sixty votes and those votes don't mm-hmm. exist.
2: Well now before right before you came online, we were talking about something else that's hung up. Uh, in Congress, and that's the social spending legislation, the big, the big, the big bill. And we were discussing the possibility of passing the more popular parts of this bill piecemeal, uh, say extension of the child care credit, for instance, as one piece. Do you think it would work by passing it piecemeal, or, or would that not even work?
0: I'm guessing that Democrats are definitely gonna pass something. I mean I think uh-huh. I think ultimately dem I think ultimately Democrats are gonna recognize that it's not worth your time to try to get a compromise out of Joe Manchin. Just take take what he'll give you now and he'll give you something. It's probably nowhere near what you want, but he'll give you something and you're kinda of silly not to take it. And yeah, maybe yeah. that's child tax credits. Maybe that's some of these climate provisions. I'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure.
2: Yeah, that's that's a good thought.
0: David, are you back with us now?
2: I
1: am back, and I'm glad to see that Ryan well, uh, agreed I'm, with my. I'm
2: going to throw it. I'm going to throw it to you, then, to ask more questions, sir. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, um, I'm glad that Ryan agreed that uh, Joe Manchin is probably the one that you can deal with better than Kristen Cinema. I am putting a yeah. little bit of words in your mouth. <laughs> Uh, Ryan. Um, well, Ryan, let's kind of talk about some other states. I know you want to talk about New York. And New York's not a state that we talk about a lot because it's kind of one-sided. And so um, I do know that, uh, you know, Andrew Cuomo made a little bit of news on his way out. And uh, Kathy Hochul is uh, running for re-election, but she is going to have some opposition in the um, primary. And then, of course, she'll have a general election. But from what I've seen, she seems to be. Um, her first impression was pretty decent, I would think. Um, do you think her odds are, are pretty strong of first winning renomination, and then how if she does, how would things look in the general?
0: I think that her odds of renomination are, are very solid. Um, you know, there's no runoff in New York. All you have to do is win with the plurality. She's probably going to have at least three, like well-known Democrats running against her. You know, a congressman from uh, Long Island, probably the New York City public advocate, and maybe even Bill de Blasio, it seems, may uh, may also run. And you're getting a lot of candidates that are going to split up the New York City slash Long Island vote a million ways. And, you know, she's, she's from upstate, she's from the Buffalo area, and she'll probably win all those counties, 60, 70 plus, and get, you know, get something out of the city and something out of Long Island, and I think it'll be, I think it's, it's hers to lose, and that's even probably underselling her chance.
1: Yes. Now you mentioned Mm -hmm. Bill de Blasio. Um, Is his opinion of himself different than everyone else's? Because I really don't know that he's (laughs) that popular. I've heard that he's even come under fire from a lot of Democrats that probably voted him for him for mayor the first time.
0: So. You know, know, the the opinions of of Bill de Blasio will vary quite a bit. If you ask someone on Long Island or upstate, they're probably universally going to hate him. If you ask someone from Staten Island, they're universally going to hate him. In the polls actually from New York City, I think he usually actually has like a positive approval rating, not like anything crazy. But from a statewide perspective, he's definitely unpopular. And he's definitely upset Democrats on both the conservative side and the progressive side for various reasons
1: yeah i mean he's one of the few politicians i've ever heard get trashed on um a new year's eve celebration um that might have been a sure, first
0: CNN. uh usually
1: those are pretty apolitical affairs yeah yeah well um and also new york has had to redraw maps like everywhere else and um a, a pretty uh i guess um I've forgotten his uh, name, but a, a pretty moderate Republican that gets a lot of crossover votes. He's decided not to seek reelection. election They're losing a vote there. They've probably got some uh, areas that uh, Democrats would like to target. What's your read on the uh, New York maps for Congress at this point?
0: Sure. So I think the congressman you're thinking of is Co, who represented a seat. Yes, John Katko yeah and he you know he he kind of had you know he was kind of overpowered in some sense and could outrun Trump by twenty points by margin or something just completely something completely ridiculous, but um yeah, so how redistricting works in New York is that there's a commission, um and ideally that would produce a single map and, and send it over to the legislature. Um, unfortunately, and I'm going to say unfortunately in quotation marks. The uh the commission basically deadlocked and produced two maps, which is kind of a good thing for Democrats. So basically what they can do now is say, Hey, you're only really allowed to send one map, have fifteen days and that fifteen days timer I think started last week to try again and give us one map. All right. And then uh if that fails, the uh the legislature gets to try to make a map. And I mean, that's what ultimately what Democrats want to have happen, so they can draw you know whatever maps they want. Asterisks. There are a few things they have to worry about. They have to um, like there are some compactness requirements within the New York Constitution, so you probably can't do like a bacon strip from New York City to upstate, but you could probably get a get away with a lot. And there's kind of some debate like how aggressive New York Democrats want to go. Do they want to sink? Staten Island with Manhattan to make a democratic district or maybe not because you know a lot of these incumbent democratic incumbents have concerns and they want to represent some particular area. You kind of saw this in Maryland. So it's a little bit up in the air how aggressive democrats could go, but in theory it's possible that they could reduce the number of republicans in the state of New York from 8 to 3. So wow. Mm. And then yeah, Whoa. but that in theory. I I don't if I was betting, you know, if I was a betting man, I would say they will not go that aggressively. I would expect there to at least, let's say, at least before probably five plus Republicans. So maybe only nab a seat or two.
1: Yes. Well, now, and, and two, I wanted to ask about in particular. One, uh, Max Rose lost re-election in Staten, the Staten Island-based seat. I think they have to have some more population. Is that a seat that you would see them working with, where? Um, Max Rose would have a better chance at um, winning uh, re-election to the Congress?
0: So yeah, so that's the sort of seat that are on paper. It would be pretty easy to make that a safe Democratic seat. Um, it's very possible they could do that. There's no guarantee that they will. Um, if they wanted to, they can, as I said earlier, put it with Manhattan, make it a Biden plus 20 seat up from I think it's Biden plus 11 right now or, some, or Trump plus 11 right now. So it's pretty easy to swing at 30 points if they want to. It's more, more so a question of political will.
1: Yes, and then the other one I was interested in is um, Elaine Stefanik has really um, come from just winning uh, election for the first time a few cycles ago to now being in the House leadership, and she's in New York. I don't know that much about her district. Just tell us about it, and then t- what you know, and then tell us if that's a the district they might um, work with.
0: Sure. So um, her district is uh, in upstate New York. It's in uh, the north uh, northeastern corner, and uh, unfortunately for Democrats, that is that is not a district that you would you would try to trifle with. Even in like the map where I said where you'd reduce the number of Republicans to three, that is one of the seats that you would keep. It's just just because of where it is. It's in the corner of the state. It's surrounded by Republican areas. There's no major Democratic city near it where you could you know, take those votes and add it to it. I, she's practically guaranteed to be in the next Congress.
1: Okay. Well, I, and that's good to know, and sometimes it's um, interesting to find those things out. Um, drove, d- uh, drove that upper border of New York that borders Canada one time, and I know that is some very rural area. Um, Well, now let's move back uh, to to Georgia, and um, you would want to talk about Georgia even on your Twitter account. That is, other than your home state, one of the states you're the most interested in, and um, Tim and I live here, but sometimes it's just great to get another opinion where it's based on math and not based on residing here day in and day out. So my question all the time when I think about Georgia it has been trending Democratic slowly and surely every cycle since about 2006 um, but I'm not convinced that that um, trend will continue in a straight linear line like it has in the next few cycles to where it becomes the next Virginia. What's your take on Georgia's um, progression to from Republican to possible democratic state?
0: Well, So the the democratic fortunes in Georgia have obviously improved pretty much solely because of the expansion of Metro Atlanta, the minority population specifically, you know, most predominantly African-American, but also Hispanic and Asian, you know, there's been a large influx of these communities in Gwinnett County in you know, Cobb County and, you know, basically all the counties going around in a circle, you know, around the urban core and, I believe looking at the census results, even like the 21 estimates, Georgia's basically adding around Democrats are just looking at the census intake, new immigrants around 50,000 years net, 50,000 people net over Republicans per year. So I, I think the trend line for Democrats in Georgia is definitely a positive one. It's very possible that 2022, if it's a Republican year, could be devastating. For georgia democrats it's very possible you know that warnock could lose it's very possible that abrams could lose again but i feel like if that were to happen it'd be the sort of thing people look back 10 years from now and say, you know georgia is more likely than not a democratic state now but you know that was just kind of the last hurrah of the republicans one really good year in 2022 but even that may not happen i don't know i'm just saying it's a possibility um you know a big demographic problem for democrats recently has been with Hispanics. And um, Georgia definitely has some Hispanics, you know, definitely in like Winnett County, but compared to a lot of other battleground states like Arizona, like Texas, like Florida, you know, the the, the Hispanic population is a lot, lot, lot lower in Georgia. And I think that is the Democrats' benefit.
1: Well, and I guess different turnout rates in different states, Uh, You know, for Latino voters. Now, you mentioned Raphael Warnock. Let me ask you this. Um, You know, he's more likely to face Herschel Walker, which is not, you know, I I don't think it's going to be a strong candidate as far as when you get down to serious policy, not, you know, remembering finally what a great football player he was. Um, And then, of course, you know, Stacey Abrams is either going to go against the sitting governor or a former sitting senator. Um, that's going to have, a you know, obviously a lot more political experience than Herschel Walker. Um, what would it take for, even if it's a very Republican year and you can't flip the governorship, what's it going to take for Raphael Warnock to win reelection election um, against, a, you know, a very untraditional uh, challenger?
0: Well, you know, what would it take? I mean, just get a better margin out of some of these you know, these suburban counties. I mean, he won Gwinnett County by a record-breaking 21 points as a Democrat. In order to win in 2022, I don't think – I bet he can't get the same rural margins he got in uh, in his runoff. But if he was able to win Gwinnett County by, I don't know, 25 points, and that kind of sounds outrageous, but, you know, the way it's trending, is it that outrageous? I think I think he basically just needs to turbo – like he just needs to max out turnout in these new – Diversifying suburbs And obviously you know like the urban core counties Like DeKalb and Fulton
1: Yes And I'll be interested see what Clark County does In a race like this This is a very Democratic leaning county But is the home of University of Georgia um, Could Herschel Possibly do slightly better Than the average Republican And could that impact things It's going to be interesting to watch Well let me um, ask you kind of a juxtapose The growth and um uh, population decline of two states um the two of the closest states in population are your state of ohio and georgia um i think ohio has in the neighborhood of a million more uh residents than georgia but it's slowly losing population certainly not gaining population georgia is gaining population in the next census do you see those two states flipping and and Ohio going to 14 congressional seats, and Georgia going to 15, or what have
0: you? So Ohio is just now losing a seat. I think – so to be fair to Ohio, it's gaining population. It's just not gaining population at the national rate. Then, You know, Georgia, on the other hand, is exceeding, like, the national rate. Um, I don't believe Ohio is expected to lose a seat. In 2030. But I mean, of course, it's possible. But, um, you know, I think I do think it is inevitable, though, that Georgia will overtake Ohio someday, maybe not in the next 10 years, but maybe in population.
1: Okay, and that's fair. And I think you're right. The only state that's truly losing that population, I believe, is uh, West Virginia. A lot of others just are not gaining nearly in relation to other states. And then one other state I want to ask about, and that's a state that's right there in with Georgia and, and behind Ohio, of course, but still gaining population. And that's the state of North Carolina. North Carolina has had a trend line where it was becoming more Democratic. And then it kind of had a setback in 2012 when Mitt Romney was able to win win it there. And then they'll elect a Democratic governor and reelect Roy Moore, but then they'll have Republican senators. Um, Donald Trump won the state twice. Um, It's been very jagged. How come it hasn't had more of a linear progression uh, to Democratic politics?
0: So, I mean, there's a few reasons why. Um, But Comparing to Georgia, for example, um, even as recently as 2004, 2008, there were still quite a few rural white Democrats that would actually vote Democratic, even on the presidential level. I think you'd see in a state like Georgia – Bill Clinton was probably the last Democrat that won a meaningful percentage of rural white voters, um, and there's some other, there's some other factors in North Carolina. Uh, a lot of the rural areas, especially in the east, historically have had high African American populations. A lot of these people are leaving, and some of them, you know, will leave to Charlotte or Raleigh. So staying in North Carolina, not changing it, like the total math. But a lot of them are leaving to Virginia, to you know Virginia Beach, to Richmond, to Norfolk, even a lot to Atlanta. So it's North Carolina, while it's becoming more diverse, isn't diversifying nearly at the rate that Georgia is. Um, there's also some you know some kind of strange issues in North Carolina, like you have like a large Native American reservation, the Lumbee. In North Carolina, that used to be solidly Democratic, but, you know, Trump, to his credit, actually put in a lot of outreach and did, I think, nearly 20 points better there in that reservation. That produces tens of thousands of votes than he did in 2016. I mean, there's just – North Carolina has a surprising number of confounding factors that, you know, it's kind of a tug of war between the Republicans and the Democrats, and it always ends up where the Democrat loses it by just a couple points, with a few exceptions like the governorship.
1: Yes. Well, um, this is so much interesting information you've given us. Also, um, we hate to have to let you go because uh, maybe you fixed our technical difficulties since you've been on. It's been far better, uh, but we're going to take our chances. Um, Before you you leave us, though, Ryan, uh, tell us, where can folks um, read about your work, be it social media or otherwise?
0: So definitely the best place to see my work is on Twitter, and uh, my hashtag is at BruneElections.
1: Yes. All right. Well, I follow you, and I encourage others to do so. Hopefully we can get you back on at some point in the future to talk about more demographic trends of other states.
0: Sure. That would be awesome.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right, Ryan Brune of Brune Elections um, is an excellent follow on Twitter, and he and he does graphs. I mean, when he makes maps, he puts those up and kind of backs it up with numbers, and and it's it's more of a um, statistics based approach. And him getting his um, degree in statistics from Ohio State makes a lot of sense. It's not you know necessarily you know partisan appeals. So if that's something people want to see more of, um, Ryan would be an excellent follow for you on Twitter. Um, well, Tim, let's kind of get into another topic to kind of finish the show out, and that would be the information that dropped. Uh, I saw it on Political Wire, sent do to you, I believe it was many other places, that the Republican National Committee is going to encourage, if not mandate, that their uh, nominees for president in 2024 pledge not to participate in the general election debates. Uh, Your thoughts on this report? Well, you know,
2: this goes back to 2016, and of course, with our commission was they want out of. They want the uh, CPD shot out of the process, and which the – Presidential Debate Commission has been setting up these debates beginning with the 1988 debates. Um, before that, the two campaigns or the two parties would just Trump wants because he thinks it will give him an advantage, and it also would give Trump some cover to, you know, back out of debates like he has. He backed out of one in 2016 and one in 2020. Uh, that, that's, that's what's going on here. I don't know if this is going to happen, though, because the Republican National Committee membership will have to vote on all of this uh, in their next month's meeting, I believe. I would imagine they'll probably vote to go ahead and do it because, frankly, David, it's the party of Trump, is it not?
1: Yes, it definitely is, and you know what? They may do it, but if I was the the debate commission, I would just go ahead and announce that in 2024 we're going to have three town halls. We're going to have one location. We're not going to do what happened. When Donald Trump got COVID and, and the debate commission went ahead with Joe Biden's town hall, and then another network um, put together another town hall, which was probably breaking COVID protocols, I would say we're going to have, you know, three town halls, same location, appear or not. And Republicans, if you don't want to appear, that's fine. That's your right. But we'll have the Democratic nominee, and they will take questions for an hour and a half to two hours, you know, it's whatever the time slot. Is And we're going to let them answer questions, and they'll be talking to the American people, and you can appear or not, and you can let the American people uh, hear about your plans if you want to show up. Now, do you think if the what? debate commission were to announce that, the Republicans would just let the Democrats have three uh, 90 to an hour and 20-minute slots free? what
2: well, the answer is who knows with Donald Trump and probably also Trump would, if it's him, and I imagine it will be him, would, would head straight over to the One America Network and, and talk there. And I probably could go to Fox and talk there. Uh, the thing is, he is really taking a gamble here. Since 1976, there's been at least one debate. We went through three straight presidential elections in 64, 68, and 72 where there was no debate. Uh, Johnson did not debate Goldwater in 64, did not offer to, did not even mention Goldwater by name in the totality of the campaign just because he knew he was going to win big and he wasn't going to upset that. In
1: 68 and
2: 72, we
1: had Richard yeah Yeah. Um, and obviously, you were mentioning Richard Nixon. Uh, Richard Nixon obviously had such a terrible debate in 1960. that watched. Yeah. Yeah, that was just the, that terrible was, debate. Yeah. And, and Tim, And, Tim, I know I have it on my end a lot, but the the, um, reception gotten really um, inconsistent at this point. Um, So why don't we go ahead and call it a show for tonight, and hopefully we will have far better weather next Sunday night. And we're going to talk to our guest who has written a, a book about the voters in either Generation Z or IGN. We'll talk to him about that. And, Tim, I know you've been reading that book closely. John Velladope is going to come on with us.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, folks, if you hear me right now about the reception <laughs> tonight. It can't help the world. So,
1: yeah, it, part it, of it, it can't be helped. And, and, and I feel your pain, Tim, because I know you and Catherine have told me many times about my reception at points. But until next week, in been the Kudzu Vine.
0: Good night. We are- is of that first revolution will be strong and united